Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. Open with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter 8 and verse 5. Matthew 8 and verse 5. If you don't have your Bible, you're going to help. No, you're not. I'm joking. Look, uh, look at the screen. <laughs> Look at the screen, some of you panic then. No, it's okay, we got you. I'm gonna read from the New King James and I'm gonna look at this story. Um, I've been looking at it for the last month or so. I shared something similar to our um, leaders a few weeks back, and, uh, but I like this story. And uh, so let's have a look. Matthew chapter eight and verse five. When you're there, make some noise. All right, the rest of you... You're gonna have to catch up. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is laying at home paralyzed and dreadfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word, say a word. Say it like you're awake, say a word. And my servant will be healed. Listen to his faith that he stops Jesus. It's interesting that he interrupts Jesus' plans because Jesus says, I'm gonna come to your house. And he says, no, 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 I'm not worthy. So just say a word. I believe that much in the power of your word. And Jesus, uh, for, for, in verse nine, for I also am a man under authority, I got soldiers under me and I say to this one, go and he goes and to another, come and he comes and to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled or he was amazed and said to those who followed, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into utter darkness. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Doesn't sound good, does it? Um, Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. I wanna just share a couple thoughts around uh, around this story. I'm gonna gonna not preach long, but um, there's so much in this story that I think is so powerful for us that if applied to our life, um, we can walk in something so much greater because what we see here in this story is we have, the story begins with a centurion. And it's important for us to look at this a little bit in order to really understand how powerful even the simple fact that the centurion approached Jesus really is. This centurion is a man who is not, he's not a church dude. He's not a religious guy. He's He's, 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 a, he's a Roman officer. He's, he's a guy that is a very capable person. In order to be a centurion officer, you had to be. You're not, they didn't just give out, those positions just didn't come, you know, you, could, you didn't find a ticket to have that position in the bottom of a cereal box. It wasn't just something that was just thrown out randomly. You had to earn it. You had to know what you're doing. You had to be capable. You had to be a good leader. You had to, um, you had to know how to carry yourself. You, if you're given a 
position as a centurion officer, you, you now have some authority. As, as he explains when he's talking to Jesus, he, he talks to Jesus about, about a, a, a similar system that he has, whereby he tells people to do things and they do it. it, it we see something of this centurion's life that is so important because what is important for us to understand where this guy's coming from that what has happened in his life is he has set up, if you like, particular systems in his life that help him do what he does. That we're not dealing with the type of man that pushes snooze four times before he gets out of bed in the morning. We're, we're dealing with a guy that's pretty disciplined. We're dealing with a guy that knows what he's doing, that he's very, he doesn't do anything by accident. He has systems set up in his life and he's organised and he has a lot of authority and he has a great position and he's very good at what he does. And this is important because this story, we don't see him in this light. We see him as a man who's very desperate. We don't see him as a man who's incredibly disciplined and well put together and knows what he's doing. No, no, no. We see him as somebody who's desperate, somebody who's crying out because the lesson here right off the bat is that every now and then we will face circumstances in our life that our system cannot, has no answer for. We face circumstances in our life where we need to actually break out of the system that we're used to operating in in order to get the miracle and the breakthrough that we desire, we have to be willing to get uncomfortable sometimes in order to embrace what it is that God has for us. And so often it's found outside of what we are used to. This guy has some things set up and, and I love the fact that he comes to Jesus and the battle that he's had to go through in his mind even to get to this place that he's had to even overcome some, some pride in his own life in either to, to get to this place where a Roman officer, a centurion would approach Jesus. It speaks to us and I wanna, wanna point out for you, for you four quick points. If you're taking notes, you can write down. But the first thing that I, I believe that we can see within this man is there is a purity of heart. There's a purity of heart. Because he's not coming to Jesus Understand this is powerful. He's not coming to Jesus for his own breakthrough, but he's coming to Jesus for somebody else's breakthrough. No, it would make more sense if he was coming on behalf of his best friend or if he was coming on behalf of his wife or if he was coming on, the behalf, on, on behalf of a work colleague. But this is a Roman officer coming to Jesus on behalf of a servant. When was the last time you came to God and petitioned God for somebody else's breakthrough? I know we talk about knocking on the door of heaven for our blessing, knocking on the door of heaven for God to pour out upon my life, for God to open doors for me. But when was the last time you sought the face of God for somebody else's breakthrough? Because I believe that that right there is one of the mantles that's upon us as a church right now here today in Orange County is that we would not just seek God for our own merit and our own miracle, but we would know what it is to seek the face of God so the people that don't even know that they need Jesus would come to that place of encounter and know what it is to receive Him. 
that I believe that that is one of the, the byproducts of a healthy Christian is that we are less focused about what we want and about what we need and we are more focused upon the needs of others. Maybe one of the best ways to get your own breakthrough is to get your focus of what you need and onto what somebody else needs. It comes on somebody else's behalf. It gives us a glimpse into this man's heart. That I love that this centurion who has it all together, who has gifting, who has authority, who has stature, who has ability upon his life, leadership, but he comes to Jesus and there's no, there's no agenda. There's no, there's no angle. He, he, he is what He is. He's coming before God and He's saying, Lord, I, I can't deal with this one on my own. He's coming before God and He's saying, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good at doing some stuff. I'm, I'm a leader. I've got officers and I've got guys under me and I've got a good job. I've got, I've got a good paycheck. I've got a good position. I've got gifting, I've, I've got ability, but, but none of that matters right now because I recognise what I'm facing right now, that my gifting and my ability is not gonna cut it, that that is not the answer, that the answer right now is I need You, Jesus. How often do we wake up in the morning and that's the cry of our heart, that we push aside every single every, everything else in our life that we would normally depend on and we say, yeah, yeah, I am blessed. Yeah, God, You have opened doors for me and yes, I do have gifting and yes, there are great opportunities before me, but you know what? None of that matters if I do not encounter You, Jesus. I need Your touch. I need Your presence. I need Your guidance. I need Your direction. It's a, it's a state of our heart that we see this man walks in. It's a, it's a level of humility. Psalms 24 and verse three to four, it says, "'Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord?' who may stand in His holy place, who has, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. We know James tells us that God, he, he resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. That in this modern day society, we're so quick to tell people everything that we've done. We, 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 we're so quick to name drop. We want, we want people to see our gifting and see our ability and see who we are. But we have to understand that, that God is not impressed with how many followers you have on Facebook. It's not like He's waking up saying, wow, you hit a thousand, that's awesome. He could not care less. In fact, the Bible says that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart, that we would be people that would come before God with a purity of heart that would say, God, I just want whatever it is that You have for me. I just wanna know You. I just wanna encounter You, that we would have hearts that He could entrust the blessing that we are asking for and believing for. He has this, this, this humility in his heart. In the, in the story of Saul in 1 Samuel in chapter 10 and verse 21, it's when Saul is crowned king. And the Bible says that, I wanna skip it, but, but you can look at it later. But the Bible says that the people... They've identified that Saul is gonna be the king. They've identified that they're gonna crown him king. And, and it says that they went looking for him to, to, to crown him king. And the Bible actually says that they couldn't find him. He says, the Lord answered them and said, they said, where is he? And the Lord answered them and said, he's, he's hidden among the equipment. Saul was hiding. This is interesting because we don't often see Saul in this light, do we? 
Saul gets a bad rap and, and rightly so. But at the beginning, when Saul is initially crowned king, he's actually operating in a level of humility. They wanted to crown him king and they cannot even find him. In fact, it says that Saul at this stage, he went home and his home was a place called Gibeah. The word Gibeah, it means a low place. This is interesting because this speaks to the state of Saul's heart in the initial stages of his life or of his ministry, if you like. But they couldn't find him. Where was he? He wasn't even to be found. He didn't necessarily want what it is that they were gonna crown him with. He was in this low place. Understand that humility is not thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking, I'm sorry, it's not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. That it's putting others ahead of you. It's putting your focus off ourself, off our needs and onto Him. This is where Saul was at, but then Saul's life took a turn that we know the story in, that he rejects God, he rejects God's ways and in 1 Samuel 13, he takes matters into his own hands. And then in 1 Chronicles chapter 10, and verse 8, it says, And it came to pass on the morrow. This is at the end of Saul's life. After he had taken a detour and been disobedient to God, even though he began with such, in such a place of humility that his, his journey changed. And it says that on the morrow when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his sons fallen in Mount Gilboa. Gilboa actually means a high place. The interpretation means a swollen or a puffed up place. It's interesting that Saul began his ministry in a lowly place of humility, but he died in a puffed up place of pride. That we need to guard ourselves from allowing pride to enter our heart, that we would continually remain in this state the same way this, this centurion was saying, yes, I have a lot of things, but God, I still need you. My, my heart is still hungry for you. He came to him with a, with a pure heart. The second thing it says in the story, if you follow the story, it says the centurion came to Jesus. He comes to Jesus and the Bible says that he came to him pleading with him. This pleading, it's, it's a, it's, it's a, there's a desperation there. A pleading, it's not just, this is not just a request. This, this pleading that he's asking, I, I, I dare say that there were many people that were there that day that, that had a request that just asked God, hey, can you do this for me? But we don't read about those people. We read about the one that was actually pleading God. And this is interesting because what this speaks to is not just what the centurion was doing, but it speaks to the way in which he was doing it. That he made a decision that I am where I am right now and what's before me is an opportunity. That I refuse to leave here without getting every single thing that God has for me. This speaks to, it's not a level of haphazardness. It's not, well, if I get a breakthrough, I get it. If I get a miracle, I get it. If I don't, I don't. No, no, no. 
This is the centurion saying, grabbing a hold of Jesus, saying, I implore you, I plead with you, I beckon with you, I need you to do this miracle for me. This is a centurion saying, I am not gonna let this moment go to waste. I am not gonna be here and walk away the same way I can. I recognise that where I am standing right now is an opportunity and I'm gonna get out of it every single thing that you have for me, that he had a purity of heart, but he also, the second thing is, he also understood the purpose of his steps. And we talk a lot about that in this church because it's such an important verse for me and it's always been for me that Psalms 37 and verse 23, it says that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. I pray it over my life every night. I pray it over my kids every night before they go to bed. And I declare over their steps and I'll, I'll, I'll lay hands on their feet and I will declare the Word of God that their steps are ordered by the Lord, that they're not gonna go one single place that has not been orchestrated by God, that they're not gonna go one single place where God has not gone before them and set up the ground for them to be there and get something out of it. You need to receive and declare over your life that your steps are ordered by the Lord. And if they're ordered by the Lord, even when you're at a place that you would not choose, for yourself, that if God has you there, that you are there for a purpose and He's got something for you and you cannot leave without getting the breakthrough that He has prepared for you. That you've got to make a decision that even when you perhaps wake up tomorrow and maybe you're going into a job that you don't like and you wouldn't choose it, and you wanna slap your boss and the person in the cubicle beside you stinks and you don't like the receptionist on the front and the coffee's really bad and the traffic's bad getting there and you hate the uniform and the food's bad at the cafeteria and you don't like how much they're paying you and they overlook you all the time and they don't recognise what's on your life and you hate the hours and you hate the people that you're working for and you hate the people you're working beside and all you do is just remind yourself how bad every single aspect of your job is. How about you wake up tomorrow and you declare, you know what? I may not choose this job, but I'm recognising that this is the job that God has for me right now. That my steps have been ordered by the Lord and that if the Lord is gonna put me here, then He's got something for me and I'm gonna get every single thing out of it that I possibly can. Do you believe that your steps are ordered by the Lord? I'll never forget my first job out of high school. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, and I, I got a position in college and then I put that off. And, and, and you know, I had an opportunity to just do some work, some labour work and to just make some money. I was 19 and my cousin had a plumbing, a plumbing company. And he said, do you wanna come and work for me? And I said, sure. I was 19, a little snotty-nosed, pretty boy kid from the city and, and I went out to Outback Australia. I said, sure. He said, come and be my plumber's labourer. I don't know if there's any plumbers in the house, but I had no idea what was waiting for me. I'll never forget, I was 19 and he said to me, I'll pick you up in the morning. I said, what time? He said, 10 to five. I thought, that's demonic. That, that has to be demonic. Pick me up at 10 to 5, Outback Australia. Do you know how hot it gets in Outback Australia? 
He picked me up 10 to five. I never forget I got out there on the, on the job site. When you're a plumber's labourer, do you know what you do? You dig. You're waiting for me to say something else. I'm not, that's what you do. And when you finish digging, you know what you do next? You dig some more. And once you finish doing that, guess what? You're gonna do some more digging. That's what you do as a plumber's labourer. i never forget it. I was out there in the hot sun. It must have been 120 degrees. I'm sunburned. I've got this beat up old shovel. The ground is so dry out in the middle. It's desert. i never forget I start digging these stupid holes. I'm digging sewer trenches. Sewer trenches out in the sun and I'm digging these holes. And I'm so mad and I start, I've got these little pretty boy city hands and, and, and they start getting cut up. I'm walking in these trenches and they dug the trenches and the branches from the trenches are cutting up all the sides of my legs. And then I'm trying to glue these stupid pipes together and I'm spilling the glue and the glue's going all over the cuts in my legs and it's stinging my legs. I've got the sun stinging my head. I've got blood on my hands from blood blisters all over my hands. I'll never forget, I remember five days in, I thought, I'm not gonna make it. I can't do this. But I never forget about the second week. I thought to myself, you know what? I've got a decision to make. I'm either gonna shift in my thinking and my mindset and I'm either gonna just get resentful and whinge and moan and complain and talk about how hard it is or I'm just gonna embrace it and say it is what it is and declare that word. See, we wanna speak the word that my steps are ordered by the Lord when we're walking through a good place. But it doesn't take faith to speak that over your life when you're walking through a good place. My steps are ordered by the Lord and I gotta raise big flipping deal. That's no big deal if you to say that over your life. Try declaring that over your life when you're facing all hell and you're walking through the hot coals of a difficult situation. Then declare that, that's when it takes some faith. I believe my steps are ordered by the Lord, which means the steps that God has ordered these feet to take are not gonna be intimidated by difficult circumstances that if it was up to me, I would change. I remember I said, all right, all right, I'm just gonna do this thing. I changed in my mindset. Now, did the job change? No. Did the sun stop getting hot? No. But my hands toughened up a bit. And I shift in my focus and I made a decision. I was gonna get out of this thing, every single thing that God had put me there to get. And I say all that to say, because in contrast, this week, Caressa and I had the opportunity and I was reminded of it. And I started laughing in my, in my heart. I started laughing and I thought, this is so crazy. Because this week, Caressa and I had the opportunity to go to the White House and I remember walking, I remember walking up to the White House, thinking to myself, what the, I was gonna say something else, what the heck <laughs> am I doing here? We walked in, we walked into this dinner, we sat down in this room. There must have been maybe 80 people in this room. I thought, what are we doing here? And all of the, 
was all these like generals of the faith, men and women of God that I've looked up to for years. I was, it was, as we're walking in, I said to Chris, I said, that's Robert Morris right there, Gateway Church. She's like, who's that? I said, he's a big deal. <laughs> James Robeson. That's James Robeson right there. He's a big deal. Glory and Kenneth Copeland. I said, Chrissa, these jokers are big deals. What are we doing here? But then it hit me and I thought, well, I'm here. I'm gonna make the most of it. So I started walking up to these guys, introducing myself. Just because I wanted to just meet them, shake their hand. I said, Pastor uh, Kenneth Copeland. You know, and I was honourable honorable and respectful. I said, I just want to say thank you for every message you've ever preached and book you've ever written that's sewn into my life. And then I went from him and he said, no problem. I shook his hand and then I went to someone else and met Robert Morris and, and thanked him and then James Robeson and, and I thanked him and we're standing in there and then this, this, this loudspeaker in the room comes over and says, ladies and gentlemen, will you please be standing? There's probably 70 people in the room. Will you please be standing for the President of the United States and the First Lady? And they walk in and cameras are snapping and I'm standing there thinking, what the heck are we doing here? <laughs> but listen, let me tell you, I walked into there the same way that I walked onto a building site in Outback Australia, saying, I don't know what I'm doing here. And I don't know why I'm here. I know I didn't do anything to get here. It's not any effort on my part, but it's only by the goodness of God and by the grace of God. But my steps are ordered here and I'm just gonna get everything out of this that I possibly can. And I'm gonna give you all the glory. Your steps, your steps are ordered by the Lord. He knew his steps were ordered by the Lord and he said, I'm not leaving this place. I'm gonna plead with you. I'm gonna get every single thing out of this because faithful with the little will be faithful with the much. So often we think, well, when God does that for me or when God opens that doors, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be faithful. No, 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 no. Faithful with the little. Faithful with the much. His steps were ordered. He had purity of heart. He had purpose in his steps, Jesus says to him, I'm gonna come to your house. He says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come. And that, that would have been good, wouldn't it? Haven't Jesus come to your house? I mean, you gotta make sure it's clean and you know all that, but I mean, we would flip out, wouldn't we? I'd be like, okay, that'd be a good selfie. You and Jesus out the front of your house. Hey, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? The family, you know, at the front door. But I mean, most of us would jump on that opportunity, wouldn't we? We'd be like, hashtag favour ain't fair, Jesus at my house. <laughs> wouldn't we? Come on, JC in the crib. Like, I don't even know what that really means. Hey? I just <laughs> it sounds good. But I like him because again, it goes back to purity of heart. He says, no, I don't need that. He says, I, I, I'm not worthy of that. 
But the third thing I want you to write down is he knew the power of a word. He said, I don't, I don't need you, I don't need you to, to come to my house. I'm, I'm, I, I'm not worthy of that. In other words, I know who you are and I honour who you are. Whatever you honour, you elevate. So I honour who you are. Therefore, I elevate who you are. And because I honour you, I believe in your Word. Do you believe in His Word over your life? He says, I believe in your Word. All I need you to do is I just need you to send out your Word and the Word will do what it's set out to do. What Word are you standing on right now and believing in your life? Not like a pretty little catchphrase, not some little quote you saw on Pinterest, not like, I mean, I mean, do you have a Word? that you're declaring as for me and my house. Because if you don't have a word that you're standing on, you'll fall in a second. Because a pretty quote is not gonna keep you upright. But if you've got a word as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the word that you can stand on and the Word will do what it's set out to do. It doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. Feelings change. If you base things on what you feel, you will fail. You have to have a Word that you are standing on. He believed in the power of a Word. It's interesting that Jesus says to him, I have not found not found such great faith. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't say, I've never seen such great faith. He says, I've not found, which, you know, there's more in it than we have time to talk about, but it suggests that he had been looking for it. He didn't say, I've never seen this type of faith before. No, no, no. He says, I have not found, which means prior to this story, I've been looking I've been looking for somebody that would believe. Like Ezekiel says, I searched for somebody that would stand in the gap. This is what Jesus was looking for. I wasn't looking for the most gifted. I wasn't looking for the one that had the most charisma. I wasn't look I was looking for the one that had this type of faith that would simply believe. He had, he had purity of heart, purpose in steps. He knew the power of a word. And look at this, and I'm gonna close. He says, Jesus says to him, go, because it's done. Go, because it's done. If that was me, I'll be like, okay, but can you like give me like a snapshot of him walking? You know, he wanted his, his servant to walk. And Jesus says, it's done. Go. I'll be like, can you just give me like just a little sneak, you know, like something? Because he had to walk, even though he didn't see it, he, he, he had to walk like it was done. 
It hadn't manifest yet to where he was able to see it in physical sight. But he had to go with the peace in knowing that God had already done what it was that he was believing for. See, see the last thing I want you to write down is you have to have peace of mind. See, so many of us, we are so anxious about what's going on in our life because we cannot see things working out. And when we get a glimpse of it working out, then we feel much better. But that shows that your peace is wrapped up in your plan. But the Bible says that the peace of God surpasses all of our understanding, which means you won't really know the peace of God until you're in the middle of a situation that you don't understand. And when you're in the middle of a situation that you don't understand and something that you would not choose and something that you want to happen entirely different and you still sense a peace, that's when you know you have collided with a peace that comes from heaven above and is the peace of God. <laughs> Philippians, he tells us, Philippians 4, I love these verses. And verse 4, and I'm gonna close. I know I've said that 10 times, but <laughs> shut up. Verse 4. He says, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord sometimes. Rejoice in the Lord when you get your miracle. Rejoice in the Lord when you feel happy. Rejoice in the Lord when you get the pay rise. Rejoice in the Lord when you get blessed. No, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, he says, again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. He's doing something right now in your life on your behalf. That's how you can rejoice because you know that He's gone ahead of you and He's doing a work. It says, be anxious for nothing. That sounds so irresponsible. Be anxious for nothing. Ben, I've got bills to pay. Be anxious for nothing. Ben, my kids are screwed up. Be anxious for nothing. Ben, I'm 35 and single. Be anxious for nothing. Ben, I need a new job. Be anxious for nothing. Ben, my car just bust up and I'm catching the bus. Be anxious for nothing. Ben, I've been in the same dead end job for the last 20 years and nothing has changed. Be anxious for nothing. Ben, my kids are running crazy. Half the family doesn't even believe in Jesus. Be anxious for nothing. Ben, I'm married to a deadbeat that all he wants to do is play computer games and eat Cheetos all day. Be anxious for nothing. Ben, I hate what I'm going through and I can't sometimes be able to even get out of bed because I feel so depressed and it's clouding my mind and I wanna stay where I am and I can't sense any joy. Be anxious for nothing. Ben, I just got a diagnosis from the doctor that says, they don't know if I'm gonna last a year. Be anxious for nothing. I dare you to praise God right now and lift up the name that's higher than your situation, that's higher than what you're dealing with and declare that you will be anxious for nothing. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed. 